Well, the title of tonight's message is Growing Through Teaching. Growing Through Teaching. And on Sunday, we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. And as a part of that lesson on Sunday, that verse says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions, or hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And I noted that holding the traditions referred generally to grasping God's truth tightly, holding on to it or clinging it in a way that you're seizing it and you're not going to let go of it. And as, I, as we kind of covered that on Sunday, I noted or we observed that God's truth was previously learned as a result of teaching. When you think about holding on to traditions, referring to this idea of grasping God's truth tightly, but it was something that you had to have first. You had to have learned it first. And so that truth that God had revealed to man was in the form of his general revelation, but then also special revelation through his word to his children so that they would have direction for their lives. And as you think about learning as a result of teaching, the verse went on to say, if we were going to paraphrase it, one version of this verse says, keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. So you have these traditions that were taught to you, traditions focusing on truth about Jesus Christ, the scripture in particular, truth and scripture related to teaching, related to the return of Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying grasp onto that tightly, hold on to that tightly, and don't let go of it. And as we talked about that, I commented that you cannot grow in your faith apart from learning God's truth. You talk about spiritual growth. And this idea that you would mature over time as a believer, that you wouldn't just be in a static place where there was no movement or there was only backward movement or there's a little spurts of forward movement followed by backward movement and there was no real growth over time. That God's plan and will for our lives is that we would grow, that we would be conformed more and more or transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but that we would experience this mature maturation process. We would mature over time. And so I just commented that you can't grow apart from learning God's truth, and you can't learn God's truth apart from teaching. And then I had some things that I wanted to share that I didn't have time to share, and so I'm going to share them tonight. Because I mentioned that the Bible identifies numerous means for learning spiritual truth. So we made a, just a general observation that spiritual growth is tr- tied to learning spiritual truths. Learning spiritual truths is tied to being taught spiritual truths. And so I want to consider a few of them here tonight. Again, we probably won't get them all, but we're going to take a little break here from Psalms to go through this because it was on my mind. Now, before we get into it, as you're talking about growing or spiritual growth that's tied to teaching, and then a variety of different forms of teaching that we can look at from a biblical perspective. There's some preliminary or foundational principles I wanted to cover first. And the first is that God wants believers to grow and mature spiritually. That's God's will. God wants believers to grow and mature spiritually. So turn to Second Peter. We're going to do some page turning tonight. It has a sort of a topical message. There's verses from a lot of different parts of the New Testament here. If you're not familiar with it, it'd be good practice. So we, we look at Second Peter chapter three, verse 18. It's a verse that's well known.
And it says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Now who inspired every word of the, of the scripture? Well, God did. God breathed. He spoke through human authors to provide us with his truth. Whether, which, whichever book it is you're talking about, it's God breathed. It's given by God for our benefit, for our instruction, for our growth. But it just says here, this is God speaking through Peter and saying, but grow. Don't be like this con- those that are being contrasted here who have not stayed the course. They've fallen from your own steadfastness. They haven't, they haven't continued on in their faith. They haven't held tightly to, they haven't grasped God's truth tightly. He says in contrast to those from verse 17, you I want to grow. Believers should be growing in grace and knowledge. So we're talking about learning, knowledge referring to learning. You're growing in the things that you're learning. So God, that's God's will. Ephesians 4.15, we won't turn there, I'll just quote it to you, but it says, but speaking the truth in love, he says, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. This idea, and you could find many passages about it, but this idea of growing in our faith, and of course as Christians, we are identified positionally with Christ. We're in Christ. He's in us and we're in Him. We stand identified positionally with Him though. We're in Christ. We were placed into the body of Christ. We're viewed by God as being in the standing of Jesus Christ. His righteousness was credited to our account. We're no longer seen in our sin anymore, but we're seen in Christ. And you think about these concepts and these ideas. So grow up in all things, but grow into something. Grow into him. Talking about drawing closer in a, in a growing relationship, a, a growing sense of intimacy with Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So we're growing in a place of intimacy, in, in a sense of understanding, in a sense of relationally we're growing. Knowledge-wise, we're growing, another word for understanding, as we learn more of God's truth. But it's God's desire. He wants us to grow and mature spiritually. Now, when you hear that or you say that, the second general foundational principle that you would have to keep in mind here about growing through teaching, that's only going to occur if you want this for yourself. You actually have to have a desire to grow, and there's another verse we'll touch on in a bit about that from First Peter. But in terms of the one that came to mind, I had quoted it recently, and it just I knew it in the past. I'd been reacquainted with it again. But Luke 17, 5 says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Just a real simple statement. Increase our faith. It's, it's very similar to the passage you find about help my unbelief. But increase our faith. Now, what kind of a posture is that communicating? Increase our faith. It's, it's showing a posture of sensitivity to God's desire that we wouldn't remain babies, spiritual babies, but that we would grow. We would grow in our dependence on Him. We would grow in our trust for Him, faith being synonymous with trusting or resting. We would grow, though, in that realm of our lives. But we'd have to want that. God doesn't say he's going to force us to grow against our wills. He does say he's never going to give up on us. He's going to, while we're still alive, he's going to be seeking to get our attention. He's going to be seeking to promote the outcomes that he desires, which first and foremost is that we would enjoy him by growing closer to him. And growing closer to him would involve learning more about him. Learning more about him would involve learning truth, learning more of God's truth 
and being more and more familiar with his, his word. And so as you think about that, you, you have to want it. So that's the second principle. The third general principle, preliminary or foundational principle, is that God ultimately gets the credit for any growth in your life. It'd be easy to listen to this message about growing through teaching, look at all the different ways you can learn, having been taught a whole bunch of different ways by God, and then have the takeaway be that I need to produce this or manufacture this in my own life. I'm responsible for this. You're responsible for a positive volitional response where you're going to allow God to produce that growth in your life. You're going to allow God to have his way with you. You're going to choose that in a sense, but you're not going to produce that in your life. God's going to produce that in your life as you get your eyes and your focus on him and you say, Lord, I want to know you more. Just like Paul would, would express a desire that he may know, oh, that I may know him. And he's talking about know him and being identified even with his death, burial, and resurrection, but know him in an intimate and real and personal way. That I could even, I could even know some of the suffering that he went through, which when's the last time you prayed for that? to be identified so closely with him that even I might face some suffering on account of my faith the way that Jesus Christ suffered in terms of the mission that he had in front of him. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because I want us to have that principle really clear that God is the one who ultimately gets the credit for any growth in your life. I just want to have that in the back of our minds as we're going about talking about the different ways you could grow or that you could, you could grow by learning and you could learn by being taught in a wide variety of ways. So 1 Corinthians 3, we want verse 6. It says, I planted, Paul's talking here, Apollos, another Christian man, a teacher, watered, but God gave the increase, and many translations have the word growth there, not increase. God gave the growth. So then neither he who plants, he's talking about himself, is anything, nor he who waters, talking about Apollos there. Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase, and other translations have, have who made it grow. It's God who makes it grow. It's God who gives the growth. It's one, all a part of his grace. It's all a part of his resources, though. It's about God making this possible, and the glory always goes to God. Even when you experience things that are consistent with God's will for your life, God should still stay in the focus. It, it, you don't all of a sudden celebrate what God is doing in your own life by celebrating yourself. As God is doing what he's seeking to do in your life, and in this case we're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, the celebration or the focus or the glory, the praise, the honor, always still go to God. And we have to remember that because it's easy to have some measure of spiritual success having done that the right way. The way we began, we maybe will get that part right. It's by grace through faith and dependence on God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And then as soon as we experience a little bit of growth or a little bit of success, the focus, very naturally, if our flesh is involved, is going to go to ourselves instead of to God be the glory, great things He has done and is doing in our lives. Now, in terms of the many different aspects to spiritual education or teaching from a biblical perspective, there's quite a few. And there's probably more than just these that we're going to look at here tonight. Some are more obvious than others, but they provide an overview of the variety of means that God uses to teach 
his children. See, God is interested in teaching us because, again, learning and teaching are necessary or they're inseparable from the idea of growing in our faith. So let's start with the first way or the means that God can teach us. The first is the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 14. So one of the ways that God contributes to our spiritual growth, our learning is through teaching us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. And if you're thinking about all the different ministries of the Holy Spirit, there's many of them. A couple of them being he fills, he indwells, he teaches is one of them. He comforts, he convicts. And I think if I... If I was more studious, I could remember some of them. There's some more of them. There's at least 14, I think, that I had learned at one point in time. But John chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 26. Jesus is talking about the idea that he's not going to be here anymore. He's going to go and prepare a place for believers in heaven. But he says he wants to comfort them and tell them, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. So he says in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Now, he just says this very directly about one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So you talk about the substance of what the early church was meditating on. Much of what they were meditating on because the the New Testament, as we know it, the epistle sections of that, a lot of it hadn't been written yet. And as it was being written, it then became a part of the ongoing revelation, special revelation of God in terms of his revelation through human instruments to mankind in the form of what would become the completed canon of Scripture. But it wasn't all necessarily available at once. So they had Old Testament Scripture to look back at. And you talk about the meetings of the early church. They talk about paying attention to the reading of the Scripture. They read letters that were written amongst different to the different churches they passed those or were told through church tradition that they those letters were passed from one church to the next and so those letters were read then by a variety of churches they gave attention to the apostles doctrine which some of that was in written form some of that was not yet but the apostles doctrine came ultimately from the teaching the direct teaching of Jesus Christ a lot of it and so they talked a lot about what Jesus had said what Jesus had taught and here's, a, here's an example of how Jesus says, I'm going to utilize the Holy Spirit as a means for teaching you and also reminding you of the things that you already learned in the past. So there's one method, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. A second one is that God's Word serves to instruct believers directly. God's Word serves to instruct or teach believers directly. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, I realize that some of these are ones that you're familiar with, or many of, many of you are. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is one of the verses that we encourage young people here at our church to learn. But it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. How much all inspiration, literally in Greek, God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. Now, what is important about Scripture? It's profitable. It's useful for what? 
for doctrine, there's an element of teaching in that. For reproof, there's an element of teaching when you're correcting. Same with correction that comes next. But the next one is for instruction in righteousness. Instruction is a direct corollary, uh, syn- synonymous with the idea of teaching. Teaching about what? Teaching about what is right. God's standards of what is right. Now, what was the purpose in all of this? That the man of God may be complete. That word could be translated mature, could grow up and be thoroughly, not partially, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, does God have a plan for believers? I've talked a bit off, often. God has a plan and a purpose for believers' life. It's not to waste their lives away. It's to have good works in our lives that are produced by God working in our lives. An outflow of the inflow as God's truth flows in, our focus and fixation is on Jesus Christ. We got our perspective is in a vertical, heavenly-oriented fashion that then God is free to work through us and to produce His plan and His purpose and His will and His work in us. And that's going to be good work. Instead of works or efforts that are useless and won't have any redeeming value, these are going to be the kinds of things that God produces in our life are going to be useful to us in time, beneficial to others in time, and redeemable in terms of eternity. There's something that God could be honored by that God could could bless. And so you think about God's plan for life. It's not to just be saved and then sit like, just sit around waiting for the time to pass by, but to actually redeem that time. Now, again, we touched on this a little bit earlier. You have to actually believe this and want this. And I could have touched on this in our foundational principles about you have to want this for yourself. But 1 Peter 2, 2 talks to this. It says, as newborn babes desire what though? Desire talks about you wanting this. This is a personal thing. Desire what? The pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What is the point of being taught the word of God? It's to promote growth in your life. It's not so that you can have more head knowledge and be more academically superior to somebody else in a cerebral type of a way that you just have more information in your head. The purpose of learning is so that you could grow, growth primarily starting first and foremost with a focus on growing in your relationship and your dependence on God himself. It doesn't start, growth isn't synonymous with the kind of facts that you can rattle off about God's word. It's about how God's truth caused you to draw nearer to him and to grow in your relationship with him so that then he can use that truth in a way that does lead to a more complete or comprehensive understanding of what his truth is all about, but not focus first on the information, focused on how it will allow you to depend on him and grow in your relationship with him more. And then he can use that to allow you to maybe teach others. You know, the idea is to, some of the models that you hear about is that you would teach some so that they could then teach others also. And I don't even have that as one of our verses, but that's something that Paul talked about to some of the young men that he was mentoring. This idea that the plan or the model of how this would work is that skilled or gifted teachers would teach so that they could then be trained to teach others also and you could have this perpetuating kind of a scenario. And we'll get to that. One of the ways that God teaches us is through others. Now we go on and you think about you have to actually 
believed that this is true, that there would be some value in God's word, that it would be useful, and then you have to want it, and you have to desire it. So as we talk about being taught God's word through instruction from his, God's word directly to you. The other thing, though, I thought about as I was thinking about God's word serving to instruct us directly is that you have to be intentional about this. God's word cannot instruct you if you're not making any conscious decisions to invest in God's word, to spend time in God's word. So another passage, since we're so close, 2 Timothy 2.15, so we're at 3.16, look back to 2.15. And this is Paul talking to Timothy, a young man that he loves dearly. He's writing this as the last letter before he's executed at the end of his life here. And so these are kind of his parting instructions to Timothy. So in 2.15 he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Or the original King James said, Study to show yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed... And why is that? What would the study what? God's word, study it, why? So that you could rightly divide the word of truth. You have to be intentional about it. You're going to learn God's word. You're going to learn how to rightly divide it by spending time in it, investing in it so that it could teach you. That you could then be approved of God, meaning you could live a life that would bring him honor. Now, Another example of people who were intentional about learning God's word and so then they could grow in their spiritual lives. They could grow spiritually. They learn, but they learn through teaching, teaching of God's word. They were intentional about it, though were the Berean believers. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. Very often this passage has just been summarized with be like the Bereans. Well, what were the Bereans like? Acts chapter 17, verse 11. (laughs) This section of Acts is a record of Paul's travels, his missionary journeys. And so that's where we're at. We're just telling a narrative in a historical fashion of what Paul is up to. So he comes to Berea. And he's talking about the Bereans here. And he says, these, verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In what sense, Paul? Well, he tells us. In that they received the word, meaning they heard it. Somebody taught it to them, was Paul directly. They received it with all readiness of mind. They were interested. They were open-minded about it. And then what did they do? And then they searched the scriptures daily to determine whether those things were so. So they heard teaching, and then they intentionally invested in God's word. So there's two examples here. One, you have the teaching of others, which we'll get to in a second, the teaching of a spiritually gifted individual who was the Apostle Paul. But then it was combined with that learning, again, all for the purpose of growing, that learning then, that teaching was combined with being taught directly from from the scriptures as they went back to the source the Word of God, and they compared what Paul was saying to what the Word of God said. So two levels there of learning through teaching. Now, one of the things that I wanted to touch on and just warn us about, because I think this is something that, if we're not careful, we can be susceptible to. It's that, it's this idea that knowledge or learning, apart from the proper motivations, can cause problems. Now, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, touches on this, the, the potential problems of learning, but not learning for the right reasons, not having the right motives behind it. And 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says this about learning. Now, concerning these things offered to idols, now there was a dispute about what types of foods could be eaten or not eaten. And he says, now concerning these things, the food that's being offered to idols and, idols and whether we should eat or not, we know that we all have knowledge. Meaning, we all have some understanding about this. Not necessarily the same conclusions, but the same, everyone has an opinion, has some level of what they think is understanding about this. But he says this, knowledge by itself, it puffs up. It doesn't cause unity. It causes the potential for division. Instead of that, though, love builds up. So knowledge by itself, just trying to prove that you're right and just being right all the time, having to be right, that has the potential to tear down because there aren't, there's some things that aren't worth proving you're right about. Just you could say to yourself, let, let, let yourself or let every man be convicted or convinced in his own heart about these things. I'm not going to tear down over this thing. But he says that the flip side of that is that love for each other, it always builds up. Because it's not just any kind of love, it's God's kind of love. It's selfless and sacrificial love. And so love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Meaning, if you're thinking you're knowing something at the expense of love and a building up mentality as it relates to the body of Christ, you know nothing yet. He's not actually saying that they know nothing, it's that you're misguided. You're delusional if you think that you're mature in your faith and that you know a lot, but that knowledge is actually, you, you believe that the right use of that is to tear down and cause division? I think not, is what he's saying. I don't think so. A mature believer would not utilize knowledge in that kind of a way. You know nothing as you ought to know it because you ought to know that Faith, hope, and love will endure, and the greatest of these is what? Love. Because that's the thing that can draw us together. That's the thing that can build us up. Now, is that saying that there's never a place for reasoning together? Come, let us reason together? No, not saying that. Does it mean is there's never a place to discuss doctrinal matters or have differences of opinion? No. It's saying do it, do it in a way, though, that doesn't tear down. Do it in a way that Iron sharpens iron that it's, it's beneficial to those involved. And everyone here knows the difference between the two. We forget it because we fall into that trap of just needing to be right, just convince you that I'm right. There's nothing but a train wreck. There's nothing but rubble left behind when it's all said and done. But, ah, I was right. I was right. No, you were wrong because you didn't understand the priorities here. So that's something to be reminded of and be on guard against. Now, the third thing in terms of ways that God's teaches, ways that people are taught God's truth, is that God especially gifts certain individuals to teach the Word of God. God gifts, especially gifts, He gifts everyone to some extent, but He especially gifts certain individuals to teach the Word of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll see one of the most well-known passages about this. Ephesians 
verse 11. Talking about the ways that God gifted different individuals for the benefit of the whole body of believers. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Meaning he gifted, he gave people a particular gift for these different kinds of things. Now, for what purpose? What is the grand purpose in all of that? The, di- the diversity within the body. That's really what we're talking about is God giving us diversity within the body in terms of talents and abilities that he gives us for the benefit of everyone. Well, the, the, ben- the reason is what I just said. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying, the building up is what edifying means, the building up of the body of Christ. God gave certain people certain specific talents and abilities and not everybody has this exact same capacity or aptitude, aptitude for teaching. You know, one of the qualifications of, of being in a position of leadership like that, one of the things is that it says that they should be apt to teach. They have a God-given ability to explain things or to teach things, hopefully in a way that would be clear and accurate and in alignment with what God's Word would say. So there's one passage about God teaching through individuals, but certain specific individuals, pastors and teachers. Now, Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 7 says this. The idea that one of the ways that you'll learn, hence one of the ways that you'll grow, is being taught by somebody who is a gifted teacher. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, most all of you know that part, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught. Somebody taught you this, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now he's referring to the teaching that he himself has done along with the teaching of others. Ephesians 4, back to Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 21, it says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Meaning you had to learn about Jesus Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You heard about him because you were taught in him or taught about him by spiritually gifted individuals in your lives. Now let's talk about it more in a general sense about God teaches believers as they fellowship together. The ministry of teaching that comes through believers discussing the Word of God, talking about the Word of God, enjoying conversation about the Word of God, this idea of fellowship. There's an aspect to learning or being taught so that you can grow by coming together with other believers. Romans chapter 15 verse 14 is one that we could go to here. Romans 15 verse 14. Now, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, you're going to have two words used, either the word instruct or the word admonish. But in Romans 15, 14, I believe believe this is ESV that I'm looking at my notes, but it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Satisfied about what? That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. How did they get that? Through teaching. And now they're able to instruct one another. Now some versions have admonish. 
the word is interchangeable, instruct or admonish one another. You yourselves are able to do this. Why? Because you've been taught, you've been instructed by, in his case, Paul's saying me. So there's this benefit to fellowshipping together that we actually learn things from each other. How many of you have had conversations over the years with believers in this very church where you talked about some aspect of faith, some passage of God's word, some, but something that was related to learning the scripture or learning principles or learning doctrine, you talked about it with other believers and you learned something that you didn't know before. You were at least given some food for consideration that you maybe had to think about or go look at, look at or meditate on, but you learned because you talked to other believers, not just sat here in church listening to a pastor teacher the reality is that's one of the things that we've already covered. The Word of God is one of the things we've already covered. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of the things we've already covered. But now we're talking about learning from each other. That that's a byproduct of fellowshipping around God's Word together. You know, one of the things we have here at church, we have men's, women's, men's and women's Bible studies. We have a book club. But we have various ministries. We have youth groups. We have youth retreats. We have, youth, we have functions where people have the opportunity. We have Sunday school programs. We have Truth for Youth going on. We have a lot of different, though, fellowship opportunities and opportunities for people to talk and discuss God's word together in a smaller groups, different than just here listening to me teach. There's value in that. So there's a couple of other Verses, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. There's an idea there of iron sharpening iron, of people that are rubbing up against each other, having a beneficial effect on both of them, that they might learn something they didn't otherwise know or consider something they otherwise wouldn't know. Now you talk about the church in general, Hebrews chapter 10 Let's turn there next. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just asking that we consider what the word exhorting means. And I'm telling you, the word exhorting has to do with building up. It has to do with trying to um, convince. Another definition of it is to encourage one another, but encourage one another with what? Empty Christian platitudes? Or encourage one another with God's truths? You know, the thing that can build up and encourage one another, exhort one another, it has to do with passing along or reminding each other of God's truth. It's a way that we're taught or we have teaching that's reinforced. So starting in verse 24, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, meaning that God actually uses us in each other's lives to encourage us to grow in our faith. Part of the way we do that is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We, we see a value. We put a value on getting together and spending time together like we are tonight. We have opportunities to do many things in life. This is one opportunity we have. You know, this church is open for this specific. Uh, teacher is going to get up and teach God's word twice a week on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And you've got a choice to make. There's a whole bunch of things you could be doing with your time on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. A lot of it is really good stuff. A lot of it's really important stuff. A lot of it is stuff you can't change. There's just no way around it. There's no way you could be here. But the truth is, the vast majority of it could be set aside if you wanted to make this the highest priority in your life. Now you say, 
you not you normally want to browbeat us about the value of being at church. We're the ones who are here. You know, you're spe- preaching to the choir. But I will just say that we're always tempted with something else, aren't we? There's always something else that seems like it'd be more pressing, that'd be more important, that'd be more necessary. And if we're not careful, we justify or we come up with, we place something else in a place of higher importance one time. One time becomes two times and it has a multiplying snowball type of effect where pretty soon you haven't been out to church on a Wednesday night for five years straight. And it's not because every Wednesday night for five years straight you couldn't possibly come out to church. It's because you started to make a few excuses and a few reasons why it wasn't convenient, it wasn't, it wasn't a priority in your life. And then pretty soon that just becomes something you don't even give it a second thought. You become numb to it. You become predisposed to just not putting a high value on it anymore. Now, does that mean that those that did put a high value on it are righteous or more godly than you are because they saw more value in it and they prioritized it? No. In and of itself, going through hoops or checking off boxes doesn't make you spiritual, but I'll tell you this. God says that not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, that that will lead to, it will promote spiritual growth in our lives. It will be beneficial to us. So at a minimum, we know that you missed out on an opportunity that other people took advantage of where God wanted to use it in a way that would promote your growth and your spiritual well-being. So to allow yourself to get in a place where you say it's not important, you've effectively concluded that in your mind, is to say that you know more than God does about what would be in your own best interest. And listen, I'm preaching to the choir to myself. I mean, there was times in my life where I didn't make it a priority either. But not to my credit, to my shame, because many of the things that I did instead, in hindsight, as you look back at them, you're like, no, that wasn't more important than hearing the word of God. No, I don't know more than God does. He's showing me that every day. He's still showing me that. He showed me that today. He'll show me that tomorrow. No, I don't know more than he does. No, I can't provide for my own growth and my own spiritual well-being better than he can. No, I, I, I don't have a better plan than he has. And so, that being said, and anyway, I normally don't get into that because I don't want to see people here on a Wednesday night because they're browbeat into coming or they're guilted into it, but there's great value in gathering together. So in any event, we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, the true statement. But instead, we get together so we can exhort one another, encourage one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, meaning, and we should do that more and more often. We shouldn't do it less and less often. One, one of the things that has been historically true in churches across America is that there's less and less interest in being a part of a body, being a part of a church, prioritizing the things of faith. Now that's true with people who were only Christians in name only. They never actually knew Jesus Christ. They never put their faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also true of Christians who have, who are saved, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who are Christ's children. That fewer and fewer things rate high enough for them to participate. And that's true. It's happening all over the country. And it's something that if if we're not diligent about considering these things and encouraging one another, exhorting one another, challenging, convicting one another, again, the, the Bible does it itself, uh, then that could be the natural progression even here at this church as well. So then you think about, is it always beneficial to fellowship together? And I just wanted to remind us that if you're fellowshipping around things that are not God's truth, then no, it's probably not that beneficial to be together. You might as well 
of stay at home and watch the news. If you're going to come together and spend your time talking about useless things, useless disputes and arguments is one way that it's talked about in 2 Timothy 2.23. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Well, too often we get together and we either argue about things or disagree about things, or we talk about things that have no redeeming value at all. So it doesn't actually encourage, it doesn't build up, it doesn't edify, it doesn't cause spiritual growth because it's not founded or rooted in the Spirit of God's leading or producing it because we're just, we're living in human wisdom at that point. It's not God producing His kind of wisdom because He's not the one directing our conversation. So that's another thing that I've become more sensitive to over time is just praying, God, direct my, direct my conversation with this person. If I know I'm going to even if walking up to someone, yeah, direct my words. Direct, direct this conversation so that it could keep the spotlight on you and keep you front and center in this. All right, next thing. I believe this is our fifth thing. But God desires to instruct and teach through parental influence. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's well known, but you think about the different ways that God leads us to learn things and be taught things. One of the teaching influences that the Bible talks about is the teaching influence of parents. Now Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But nurture, that word is interchangeable with the word training. Bring them up in the training of the Lord, the admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now, if they're in your heart, what should be the byproduct of that parent? You shall teach them diligently to your children. How are you going to do that? By saying, child, listen up, I want to teach you something. No, this is how you teach. You shall talk of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is all that's coming out of your mouth, basically. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Are, are you writing, our God is awesome, on the gates of your house and on the gates of your life? And is everything that you have to say... Is it focused on the goodness of God and teaching your children about loving the Lord and loving Him more than we love anything else? And that we love Him by loving people? Is that the thing that we're teaching our children? But that's one of the primary categories of ways that the Bible talks about learning is learning through the instruction of our parents. That's God's design. Now, does that always happen? Of course not. Is this the only way you can learn? No. Many people never had that in their homes. Many of you never had this in your home. You never learned from your parents. And, and is God still able to teach you his truth? Yes, because there's many different ways that he's trying to do it. This is just, just one of them. So you think about that, parental influence. Another one here, the sixth thing, is that God teaches believers through trials. Turn to James chapter 1. This is another way that God instructs us, that we learn Biblical truth so that we can grow. Another well-known passage, James chapter 1, verse 2, we're going to start with. 
written, written to believers, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is this talking about? Learning. You're being taught something. But let that patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, meaning that you're learning, that you're maturing, that you're growing in your faith as you learn from what, though? You're learning from the trial that you're going through. So it's a little bit, I remember I said some of these were very direct, some of them are a little bit more indirect. Well, this is a little bit more indirect, but it's clearly talking about learning and being taught something through the trials that God allows to happen in our lives. Now, some of them are trials or testing that that. God orchestrates, but most of it is testing and trials that God just allows to happen as a result of choices that individuals are making, whether you or others, and the effect that those choices have on your life. We're to learn things from them, though. The trials are referring to hard things. There's things happening to you all the time, but some of them are challenging. They're difficult. They're hard. And God says, I want to use those to teach you something. Teach you something about what? Teach you something about yourself and teach you something about myself so that the combination of learning those two things, you'll what? You'll grow closer to me. You'll grow in your faith. You'll depend on me more. You'll trust me more. You'll keep your gaze fixed on me more often than you have been in the past. Now, another one that is a little bit less known is that God teaches the way we learn is through music. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. God teaches through music. You've heard me say this before. Some of you know this. We've covered the book of Colossians in a verse-by-verse study on Sunday mornings a couple of years ago. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. I'm not even in the right place. I'll just read it off my sheet here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now it says this, though. There's a comma there. Now it says, teaching and admonishing one another in or through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the teaching and admonishing one another in or through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You're saying that teaching can be accomplished. We can learn things through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The answer is yes. Many of you probably learned as much through the music ministry of this church over the years as you did from the Word of God, and that's a bold statement. But the truth is that a lot of the lyrics from the songs and the hymns that you learned here at church stuck with you more easily than the scripture itself. You had to work harder to memorize the scripture. The thing that makes songs more easy to remember is that they're accompanied with a melody. They're accompanied with some type of a cadence and time because they're ultimately poetry. And so you think about that. There's a reason why truth is set to to music. It's so that it's more memorable. That's why I've had people actually tell me that the music distracts from the message. I said, not for most people. Satan is very good at his job. So even if you want to talk about secular music, he didn't give it rhythm and time so people would forget the message. He's trying to influence people's minds and their thinking with the message. He's not focused exclusively on getting you just to want to follow some kind of a beat or some kind of a harmony. He's focused in teaching you and getting your mind filled with his messaging instead of God's messaging. So in fact, it's the opposite of that. He actually uses the time. He actually uses the melody. He actually uses the beat so you do remember the words. And so that as you're going around, the things that are bopping through your mind are lies from Satan. 
And he uses music very effectively to do that. Now, you know who else uses music? God uses it. And he uses it very effectively. He can use it the same way that Satan can use it. God says there's nothing in and of itself that is good or evil. It's what you do with those things. If it's manipulated by Satan, then yeah, it's going to produce evil. If it's used appropriately by God, it could be very beneficial. And that's true of many different examples that you could use. Anyway, the point is, the whole reason you think about music is so that it can teach us things. And so a lot of things, I've talked to many believers who are come out to this church now for 20, 30 years or some longer than that. When they were young believers, though, they told me, tell me about all these different hymns that they started to learn and all the truths that were in those hymns that they took home with them and they meditated on and they came to their minds when they're going through hard things. Now, is that to be a supplement for God's truth? No. Is it to be a priority over God's truth? No. But is it a, is it a supplement in the sense of... Uh, an additional thing that can benefit us and can teach us things so that we can grow spiritually? And the answer is yes, it is. Now another thing, I'm not going to actually go into any verses about it because it's not really a verse-specific thing, but God teaches through repetition. So you think about learning things and growing in your faith, the Bible repeats itself over and over and over again, just like I repeat myself over and over again. The, The point of it is that we need to hear the same thing over and over and over again so we'll actually eventually learn it. By learning it, then we'll have the opportunity now that we've actually grabbed a hold of that principle, we have the opportunity now to do what? To grow. The whole point God has in this is that we would grow spiritually. We would mature over time. Now, another one that I'm not going to spend any significant time on here is that God teaches through even something like nature. God is teaching us things about himself even through the world around us, the physical world around us. And so Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, the canvas of the sky shows, it's the backdrop for his handiwork is what that means. We covered that not long ago in Psalm 19. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, they're clearly seen. He's talking about natural revelation, not special revelation here, so that they, meaning every person, is without excuse. God is teaching us about himself and showing us things so we can learn things about how small we are, how big he is, how we can't depend on ourselves and we need to learn to depend on him. We need to be interested in learning more about the creator so we won't be left in a state of ignorance where we won't be in the dark. So we could grow. We could move forward spiritually. It starts by seeing that we have a need for a Savior and we have a need for God's provision through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be saved, saved from the hell we deserve to a heaven we don't. Now, the last one I wanted to touch on tonight is that believers are taught spiritual truths through personal experience. So this, I think, is our 10th one. Believers are taught spiritual truths through personal experience with what objective in mind again? That they would grow spiritually. Psalm 34, 8 made me think of this one. I had, I had looked at it at recently here. But it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You see how those things are con- combined? Tasting and seeing is an experiential. It's experiential language. As we experience God and trust God, where we see God in a personal, real, intimate, person, personal, real, and intimate way, then we see that God is good. As we see that God is good, what does it cause us to do to trust him? Who, what does it say about the man who trusts in God? He's blessed. You just follow the, follow the train there. 
I taste it. I see it for myself. I see what? I conclude what? God is good. How often? All of the time. That causes me to trust Him, to depend on Him, to rely on Him. And as that happens, I'm blessed because of it. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, not that I regard, we're talking about learning things through personal experience. This is Paul talking about how he learned things through personal experience. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. He's, he's thanking them for giving him a financial gift. So he's writing to the Philippians. He's thanking them for that. But he says, not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned, meaning I learned this through what? Through personal experience. I was taught this by the experiences that I had in life. I was taught in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. Why? Because I experienced that. I know how to abound. How? Because I experienced that. I was taught something. I learned something through personal experience. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, I didn't know it to begin with, I learned it, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He had experienced all of those things. What did it create? It created learning. He, he was taught things by those experiences for with what outcome in mind? Again, with the outcome in mind that he grew, he became a more mature believer as a result of the things he learned or was taught through his personal experience. So is there value to the things that you're going through? The experiences that you're having? Yes. Can God use them so that you could grow spiritually? The answer is yes. So coming back to our topic, growing through teaching. We've looked at now a bunch of different ways that being taught things leads to you learning things. Learning things leads to spiritual growth. And God wants you to grow spiritually. You cannot grow, though, apart from God's truth, learning God's truth. You can't learn God's truth apart from teaching. They're interconnected. You, you can't have one without the other. And that's why there's all these different ways that God's seeking to teach you so that you could learn more about Him and His truth so that you could grow in your faith. There's numerous ones here. I doubt we even got them all. There's probably some that came to your mind that I didn't cover tonight. But I want you to have this be the takeaway. It's not the specific means of being taught that's important. It's the intended outcome. That having been taught, you would grow. The question is, are you interested in growing? Are you interested in learning God's truth? To learn God's truth, the next question is, are you teachable? There's many people that can't be taught. Why? Because they have no interest in it. They're not interested in being taught because they already have concluded that they know everything that needs to be known. That individual God can't work with. That person can't grow. You're, you're in a... You're in a predicament there. Unless something changes and you become teachable, you can't learn. Unless you learn, you can't grow. So you're stuck. You're stuck in the in know-it-all land. And God doesn't want you to be there. He wants you to say, Lord, I don't know the first thing compared to the full measure or the full wealth of everything that there is to know. And I never will here on earth. But I want to learn as much as I can. And I want to humble myself in a way where I see that I'm just a I'm just a temporal being with a finite mind, but I'm one who loves you and is responding to your love and wants to know as much about you as possible. So teach me in all of these different ways, use all of these different methods, but teach me so that I can what? So that I can grow. And if you're doing those things, you're going to grow if you have that heart and that attitude. So my prayer would be that that could be all of our postures as we look at this idea that we would want to learn 
we would want to be taught so that we could grow in our faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. Thank you for the many blessings that we have in our life. Pray that we would count them. We would even just be teachable. We'd have an interest in learning so that we could grow in our faith, that we wouldn't think we know it all, that we would use the knowledge that we have in love in a way that could edify and build up and exhort and encourage others that you've put in our lives. Pray that we wouldn't allow it to cause us to be prideful or puffed up, but that we would actually have the intended outcome or the intended uh, benefit that we would draw nearer to you, that we'd have